Welcome to Mint. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and in this series, I'll be showcasing stories from the top creative entrepreneurs, collectors, investors, and founders pushing the boundaries of what's possible across the Web3 creator economy. In today's episode, I'm joined by Jesse Pollock, contributor number one in the force behind Base Protocol at Coinbase. Together, we delve deep into how Base is positioning itself in the Web3 creator landscape. From foundational insights to its broader vision, we've got a packed discussion ahead. So stay with us. This conversation is one for the books. We're back with another episode. With me today, I have Jesse Pollock, the one and only man, brains behind Base, contributor number one. What's going on, Jesse? Thank you for being on. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you. We initially met in person. I think it was um, in Denver at like the music NFT party. And uh, somebody, I think it was Keely from Melrose PR introed us. And then the rest is history. Yep. I think we hit it off pretty pretty nicely that night. Um, what do you remember from that evening specifically? Yeah. So I was, you know, this was ETH Denver. This was the week after we launched Base. So we launched Base on like a Thursday and then the whole next week with ETH Denver. And this was the end of my trip. So the next morning I was waking up and flying back to DC and Coop had invited me, uh, Coop of Coop Records and all of those things. He'd said, hey, come to this music thing. And I was like, oh man, this is like a music, like this is so what I want to do. And it's at like 11 p.m. after a really long week. And I'm so excited, so tired. So I went and I, did, I went by myself because like, I, I don't know why I ended up going by myself. I went by myself. And I got there, I started listening to the, the music and it was, you know, filling up, crowded, but my energy was just like really dying. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And so I was sitting down on this bench and this, uh, this woman sat down next to me and we started a conversation and we started talking about what I did and bass. And she was like, oh, you're saying you're here by yourself and you don't know anyone. Let me go like find some people for you to get to know. and. That then led to her bringing over Adam. And Adam was like, oh, wow, excited to meet you. Like, let me go find some more people for you to know. <laughs> and then Adam basically spent like, I think like 20 minutes just walking me around the, the event, just being like, meet this person, meet this person, meet this person. And it went from me being like literally leaving uh, because I was just so exhausted to feeling so much energy and so much like welcome energy in, in being there. So uh I, I don't know. I felt so grateful to be to be to, to have gotten to meet you and connect there and that you took the time to like connect with a bunch of other people who now, of course, like we're already collaborating with on a bunch of different things. Let's so oh, love it. I'm, I love it. Uh, shout out to Keely for making that intro. Um, I really enjoyed like running around. Love, the Keely. Event, love like, Keely. We love Keely. Shout out Keely. I was running around the event, like smearing my chest against people's backs, just trying to like make my way through the crowd just <laughs> just to make these intros. And um it was fun. It was a good time. And I remember we had a conversation. We we're like, Jesse, we have to run an episode on the Mint podcast, capture your vision and your story on how you sort of imagine the creator economy unfolding on base. So that's exactly what I want to do today. But I think a good place to start, which I do start with everybody, is a quick, brief intro. Specifically, Jesse, who are you, man? Yeah. What does the world need to know about you? And more specifically, how did you get your start into crypto? Yeah, uh, I'm Jesse. Uh, like Adam said, I, I created Base uh, in kind of leading all those efforts 
um, bases a layer two Ethereum blockchain uh, that's being incubated out inside of Coinbase uh, with the goal of making it really easy for developers to build uh, and for consumers to use these new applications that are being built on chain, um, uh, including things for creators like uh, minting NFTs that can give you more connection, uh, more revenue, more value from your fan base. Um, so that's that's what I do today. My story to crypto is it's it, you know it's been a while. I've been working kind of in and around crypto for more than a decade now. At this point, uh, I started a company in 2012 called Clef uh, that uh, built kind of identity and security software for crypto businesses primarily. So like Bitfinex and Bitmax and other exchanges were customers of ours. Uh, did that for five years. That business didn't work, um, and so kind of at the beginning of 2017, went through the acquire process. Um, and ended up at Coinbase through that. Uh, and then the last six years have been kind of uh, helping grow Coinbase from what was a 70-person company when I joined um, to now, I think, like a 3,500-person company. Um, I led all of our consumer-facing teams. So Coinbase, Coinbase Pro, Coinbase Wallet on the engineering team for on the engineering side for four and a half years. Um, and then for the last two years, I've been um, trying to figure out how do we bring Coinbase more on chain uh, basically, like, how do we get Coinbase to really embrace all these incredibly powerful new crypto tools that are emerging? Um, and it kind of out of those explorations and work came base. And here I am. So you were around employee number 70 at Coinbase all the way to 3,500. Yeah, yeah. I, so it's, you know, Coinbase is interesting because it was it was started in 2012. But then it went through two bull bear markets before I joined in 2017. Um, and, but to which point we went through another one. And so the company had like grown and then shrunk and then grown and then shrunk uh, like twice before. And so in the like raw employee count, I'm sure it's a higher number. Like uh, there are more than 70 people who worked at Coinbase before I joined. But when I joined, it was about 70 people and the engineering team was about 20 people or so. Um, I just joined as an engineer. Uh, and then pretty quickly they were like, you've managed people before. Like, why don't you take on managing a team? And thus began a journey from managing like three people, which was my first time ever managing engineers, uh, to managing like teams that I think had something like 200 people uh, in them by the time I was done with that role in kind of the middle of 2021. Wow. What's Coinbase energy like at 70 people versus 3,500 people? If you could sort of like uh, give an example, how would you explain it? Well, I think there's a lot that's the same. Like th this is one of the things, this is why I'm still at Coinbase after six plus years uh, is that um, there's a lot of commonality. And I think that's because Brian, our CEO, A is still our CEO. Like he founded the company and he's still here uh, 11 years later running the company. And so I think that's created kind of like a cultural continuity. Um, but then B, I think he did a really good job just like identifying early on that in order to make us successful, we needed to like identify what are those cultural tenets about like who we are and how we work um, that like everyone's going to stick to. Um, and those have been consistent. So the ones that really stand out to me that like I think about all the time are um, positive energy. Uh, like this is just like th there's no whining at Coinbase. It's like you bring positive energy to whatever the hard challenges that you're solving. Um, and anything less than that is going to be like not accepted. Um, and that very much aligns with kind of my ethos of just like optimism. Like we can do this. We can always do this. Even when it gets hard, we can do this. Um, so that's a big one. And then I'd say another really big one 
um, is this is this idea of kind of efficient execution, uh, which is just like we find ways to make it so we can get 80% of the value for 20% of the work. Like how do we ship something quickly that delivers value to our customers um, rather than kind of like getting in the weeds and trying to be like, oh, this thing has to be absolutely perfect in order for us to, to get it out into the wild. And, you know, I think especially on that one, it's been interesting to see at the company that it's been so consistent and it's a huge strength. And also there's places where it can be like a challenge for us to manage. Um, like for instance, like with that mindset, I think we're really, really good at shipping things. Um, but then it can be harder for us to build like the like really, really uh, like manicured experiences, like to get that like incredibly high product quality. And so that's, I think that's a muscle that we are, we're building. So I'd say th- those things, things like positive energy and efficient execution, those have been really consistent. I'd say the the thing that shifted is just like a 70 person company, you know, everyone and it's like, mm. you want to get something done. You just like go ask the person you walk over to their desk. I think at the like 3,500 person company, it's, it's a beast. And I, I get the benefit of like, I've known, I've been here for so long. I know people, so I can still kind of do that thing where I walk over to the people, you know, on the internet, cause we're all fully remote now. Right. But um, it, even with my knowledge, it still requires so much just like thoughtfulness basically about how do we get everyone headed in the same direction? Um, and this has really been my work for the last two years. It's like, how do we get everyone headed in the direction of making our business be a crypto native on-chain business, which requires us transforming from being a kind of like web two business with a little bit of crypto that was created in 2012. You talked about uh, building your shipping muscle. And I, a rumor has it that I heard you you shipped some shipped some sort of interesting products while you were in school at Pomona. I'm uh, I'm curious if you could share a little bit about those early projects and how they influenced your time in Web three. Oh wow, going back, yeah, was, you, you tweeted and and some people came out of the woodwork <laughs> being like, ask him about what they went to college. Yeah, no, I I got to college my first year of school. And I had just learned how to write code like a year prior. And I was like, holy crap, I don't want to go to school. I just want to build things. And like, this seems like a cool context to build things in with a bunch of other people. And so my first year of like, literally, I think my fall of college, the first thing I shipped, this was 20, this was the fall of 2011, um, was a rideshare app. So I built a rideshare app that uh, made it possible for people to get rideshares to and back from the airport. Um, uh, you know, like Pomona had three different airports that people flew into it. So this would like coordinate everyone so you could get in the same, like, I forget what they're called, like shuttle vans mm-hmm. uh, and kind of like share the costs for them. Um, that was called 5C Rideshare. Uh, that my, the app that I built worked, I think for like seven or eight years post that, like they maintained it. And then they did a V2 of 5C Rideshare, which is still running, uh, kind of support. Oh my God. I thought so, you were going to say cool. like, V2 then, with Uber. <laughs> no, but then the, the next the next app that I did this spring, so that was spring 2012, was it was called Like Secret. Um, and it was, I mean, it was basically like Tinder, uh, except for it was like your network of people where you would swipe on people. It was like a web app, though. It wasn't mobile, um, but you would swipe on people like, do I like or not like this person? And then it would match up the people who liked each other. So the, that one, that one, that one wasn't a hit. Like no one used it. Um, but I was like, I was onto something there. <laughs> it's now turned into pretty big business. That that makes sense. Do you think there's um potential for NFT based dating? I know people have attempted this within the Board API Club community. 
um, but ended up just being all guys, just swiping on each other for the most part. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm curious if you see any potential uh, and sort of like how you think about maybe like decentralized ride sharing, because a lot of people are trying to build like the Web3 yeah. Uber. There's, these are these are concepts or like the yeah. Web3 Tinder. Like any any thoughts around those early projects yeah. and how it's influenced your, your thinking in Web3? Yeah, well, uh, like the first thing that came to my mind when you said kind of like NFT dating is if you, if you look at kind of dating apps today, you know, and I think like, you know, I haven't, I'm married now. It's been a while since I've been on dating apps, but from when I pre-married, my recollection of using them was like, one of the things you do when you, when you, you sign up for a dating app is you, you spend a lot of time basically like adding in information about who you are. It's like, here's my favorite music and like, here's my favorite movies and like, here's what I care about. And I think that is a, a lot because like we all live these lives where we listen to music and we we watch movies and we we do activities, but all of the data about those lives is controlled by other companies. Um, like our listening history is in Spotify, and it's like kind of locked up in there. And our like friends are in Facebook, and it's like kind of locked up in there. And that means that like it's both hard for these dating apps to like integrate with those access. They have to do business deals. They have to like you know make sure that you could actually like import your songs, whatever. And I think one of the things that gets me really excited about like NFTs and and this whole kind of new on-chain economy that's emerging is rather than all of those companies owning all that data, you're going to own all that data. Like you're going to have collected, here's my like 100 favorite songs by my 100 favorite artists. And those are just mine. And then when you bring that to a dating app, it's like you just bring your NFTs. You bring who you are that's represented in this kind of like on-chain uh, graph of information. And I think that's going to make it so the level of kind of like depth and and kind of customization and uh, like connection that you could get from an app, I think it's going to go way, way higher because now it's like, oh, it's like, what about other fans who've collected NFTs, you know, that of songs that I like or other people who've, who've been to similar events? Like this whole kind of substrate of our lives, I think, is going to become much easier to like integrate and compose with some of these products like dating. So I'm I'm super excited about that. I think it's going to unlock all these use cases that like people can't even really comprehend right now. I I like your I like your approach, and I think it's a, it's a segue into talking about base. Uh, but before I jump into that, I think one thing that I want to sort of set the stage with is um, you're a shipper. Um, you you speak with purpose, and you care deeply and passionately about the space to the point where I've been keeping tabs on your timeline. I noticed you spent some time in D.C. recently. I'm curious why is that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was in DC the last two Thursdays. Um, the first Thursday I did kind of a fireside chat with the uh, the U S head of policy for Coinbase with kind of staffers from, uh, you know, representatives and and senators in the office. And then the second Thursday we did a whole kind of demo day where we were just kind of showing off a bunch of crypto use cases. Um, and again, we had this similar audience, you know, a a, a little more than a hundred kind of staffers from Congress people and senators and, you know, the, the reason why I'm doing this, why we are doing this is because I think right now in the United States, unfortunately, um, crypto has kind of gotten this bad rap in policy circles where uh, I think folks you know, are, are missing a lot of education um, and, and knowledge. And therefore, you know, sometimes they just anchor on the headlines of, um, uh, you know, crypto is a scam or, or whatever it is. And I think what we see 
from kind of being on the ground building, from from you you know shipping these products, is that over the last year, the amount of utility that crypto is enabling in the real world has skyrocketed. And we've actually turned the corner from where crypto used to be this thing that was primarily kind of an investment and speculative to crypto really being this platform that we, we talk about is upgrading our systems. Like literally, we have these legacy financial systems, you know, things like wires and, and remittances where it's expensive, it's slow, it's closed on the weekends. If you have an issue, you have to get on the phone with some person in the middle of nowhere who's like, maybe going to help you, maybe not. I mean, like incredibly painful lived experience for all of us on a day-to-day basis. And we're seeing that literally crypto is this technology that is being used to upgrade all of these systems um, and make them 10x easier, 10x more globally accessible, 10x better and cheaper. Um, And that's having a huge impact on people's day-to-day lives. And like one example of this is the kind of remittance use case where it's like, historically, if you if you immigrated to the United States and you had your family, you know, maybe in Turkey or Argentina or one of these places, and you wanted to get money to them, you would earn money in the United States. And then you would pay someone like Western Union, something like $40 to send money, right? And let's say you're like an everyday American who's earning minimum wage, that's $9 an hour, like $40. I mean, that's crazy. That's That's a half a day of work just for the fee to send your family money. But with crypto, with this upgrade to the system, what we're seeing is instead of that costing $40, on Ethereum, it costs $1.50. On base, it's going to start costing something like 10 to 15 cents. Uh, and over the next couple of years, we're going to get that down to less than one cent. So that means like for, for the everyday person who, who wants to be supporting their family, instead of paying $40, they're paying 10 cents. And that is a huge change in someone's lived experience. And we don't think that that story is being told enough. And we think that that's leading to an environment in the kind of policy sphere of the United States that's anchored around fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And that's leading to a lack of regulatory regulatory clarity that is hindering innovation and making it so uh, you know the United States is falling behind. And so I have been in DC, we have been in DC to just show these use cases. Like literally, that's all we are doing. We're saying, look at these ways people are using crypto to update the system that are delivering 10x cheaper, easier, more globally available solutions for these really hard challenges. And it's really resonating with people. You know, like I think when people see that concrete use case, it connects dots in a way that like maybe they hadn't been able to before. And I'm optimistic that all of this work from Coinbase and from Coin Center and Blockchain Association, all these folks uh, is really going to come together with policymakers over the next one to two years to create those frameworks that move us from this place where, you know, everything is impossible to like, oh, no, now we have clear rules uh, for how we can both innovate with this new technology and protect consumers in our country. It's crazy because to us, who we've been living and breathing this stuff, these these use cases and, and case studies have been so trivial. Like, it's so obvious. Like, yes, like, we see it happen in real time. These are stories that we hear consistently. And the fact that you still have to go on, on Capitol Hill and to go to DC and, like, petition for these things and just bring more clarity, it's a bit confusing. It's like, why, why don't more people know about this? Why yeah. do you guys have to be the ones to educate, like, it's solely, it's very accessible. And it makes me think like, I know recently uh, Coindesk reported on March 15th that the US Federal Reserve's real-time payment system is coming in July. 
So it makes me think like, who's understanding of this stuff? Who's not getting of this stuff? Why? Like, it, it's super, it's weird because you guys are going in and trying to educate, but then very much higher up, there's a new system that's trying to be built and, and implemented. It's very, it's very weird. Do you feel, do you feel confused as well as, as I do or? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of the like, the way I rationalize this experience, because I feel the same way. I'm like, how how can people not see the opportunity and the impact that's already here and it's happening every day? And the way I rationalize it is this is just what's happened with every major technology trend and, and change in the history of kind of humanity, right? Like in the early 2000s, late 1990s, everyone was like, oh, the internet, like who needs that? You know, like that's not going to be positive or it's not going to impact anyone. And then like people tried to shut down the internet. They were like, we need to regulate it. Like we need to do all these things. And they passed acts, you know, like, you know, in the, in the early 2000s, they passed this can spam act, which was like, we need to like regulate email in order to stop spam. And have you looked at your, your spam folder recently? Like it wasn't passing regulation that was like stopping spam. It's technology that improves and upgrades that makes it possible to manage the complexity of these new systems like the internet, like crypto. And I think, you know, this is just the life cycle of technology and technology adoption. And I think the best thing that we can we can do and that I do and try and show up for every day is bring that positive energy um, and just like be relentlessly here to talk about here's what crypto is. Here's how it's already making a huge positive impact on everyday Americans' lives. And here's what we need from a clarity perspective in order to make that even more, you know, impact and, and even more positive for our country, which it really can be. So I think this is a great segue now officially into talking about base. We spent the first sort of 21 minutes getting to know you more, Jesse, learning about your background, learning about the, the activism that you're, you're kind of like uh, collating uh, at DCA. I would love to shift the conversation and talk about base and its role in the creator economy as a whole. Um, but I think as a primer, give me like a 30-second definition. What is BASE for those who haven't heard about it yet? So BASE is an Ethereum layer 2 blockchain. Uh, that basically means that uh, it's a scaling solution on top of Ethereum. So you can run your same applications that you run on Ethereum on BASE, but instead of them costing, you know, five to ten dollars to 20 more depending on demand if, if you're a given user who's using that application it's going to cost you know 10 to 20 to 30 cents now and then we're going to be driving that down to sub cent over the next kind of one to two years and so really what base is all about is about making it easier cheaper and still secure and decentralized to use these incredible new applications that are being built on chain and i think the one that you know is most relevant to creators right now um, is really this application of NFTs uh, and how creators are using NFTs to um, uh, create kind of these collectibles for their fans that bring them closer together, uh, are a new revenue source uh, for, for creators, um, and it enable them to do all sorts of incredibly powerful things that you know, previously wasn't possible. Like, you know, if I you know, sell a collectible to all my fans, then I can make sure that those fans who showed up to buy the collectible are also the first fans who get to be in line for tickets. So it doesn't end up just going into this world where tickets get sold to scalpers and they make huge amounts of money that doesn't go back to me or my my audience. And so our goal with base is basically to make it 10 times cheaper, 10 times easier, and 10 times more globally available for creators 
to do those things and, and, and connect up to their fans. Do you think uh, a, an individual like yourself needs to wear the missionary hat or the mercenary hat with kind of like building out the base protocol? Or is it a combination of both? Or I, I guess, like, how do you think about that? I think it's a mis- mostly the missionary hat. Like when I think about what my job is, it's like we are at the absolute day zero of uh, kind of on-chain adoption, right? Like if you think about the number of people who are collecting NFTs and using this incredibly powerful new way of interacting with music um, and art, uh, you know, we're still in the like hundreds of thousands of people, maybe low millions of people have ever done that. And I expect that over the next five years, that's going to be literally everyone in the world. Like billions of people will do this because it's going to be way better. Uh, and we can talk about why it's right. better, but it's going to be better and it's going to get the adoption. And so like through that lens, I think doing almost anything mercenary is like a sub-optimization. Uh, it's like what we need to be doing right now is we need to be building better tools to make it so creators can do more on-chain um, and then uh, using those incredible things that creators uh, create on-chain to bring in those next 10 billion, 100 million, billion people. Uh, and I think that is very much a kind of like positive sum missionary, like let's go tell the world about this incredible thing that's happening rather than let's kind of compete or be zero sum or be you know super kind of focused on optimizing these certain things. It's like, no, let's just give the incredible community of creators all over the world better tools and support them in using those better tools to create incredible things. Someone on Farcaster had had asked a question, um, and I think it's a perfect place to ask it as we kind of get into the conversation of base. Why was base a priority for Coinbase uh, for, for Coinbase versus the other one thousand things you guys could have built? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question, um, and I, I do think it really does go back to this in, like empowerment uh, uh, kind of angle, where it's when we basically I, I spent the last two years trying to um, figure out. You know, how do we bring Coinbase from being this kind of centralized off-chain um, uh, company that was started in 2012 that did primarily trading to increasingly using these new kind of tools like smart contracts to build their products? And I think what we saw, um, and, and this is the same thing that we're seeing in the kind of creator economy, is that it's still just too hard to do that. Like the tools are getting better, but the reality is it's still too hard to build applications on chain. It's still too hard to mint NFTs on chain, whether that's hard because the experience is difficult or hard because the fees are so high that it's not actually accessible to you as a creator. Um, Like that difficulty is a massive blocker for innovation. And when we think about what Coinbase is kind of gradually becoming as a business uh, is we really want to be a gateway where we're taking the 110 million users, uh, you know, the incredible kind of Coinbase retail products and distribution, and we're using them to connect those folks into all of the cool products, the cool content, the, the things that people are creating on chain. And if you think about that role for Coinbase, and then you think about the reality that it's still been too hard for people to create on chain, then like that gets you to the why. It's like if we can lower that entry point to make it cheaper and easier and, and more fun and more integrated to, to build on chain or to release your NFT or to do whatever it is you want to do, that means that we're going to then create 10, 100, 1,000 times as much 
really, really high quality stuff happening on chain, which will be really good for Coinbase's business because we're going to be able to bring all of our users to collect those things or to listen to those songs or to do whatever people actually want to do with the, the experiences that folks are creating on chain. And so base is really all about enabling the folks who are listening to this podcast um, to build more cheaply, more easily, um, and then to reach those, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of people who are going to be coming on chain over the next few years. So when you think about um, Coinbase's sort of V1 NFT marketplace, do you feel it would have been better delivered if it was initially built on base? Like, do you feel like the marketplace came before the platform actually should have been introduced? Hmm. That's a good question. I think we have, I think we have a lot of learnings from the, the marketplace. Um, I think today, like, if we had base, would it support base? Absolutely. Like, you know, every Coinbase product is going to kind of have base by default uh, as the the kind of uh, core experience there. Um, I also like would say that I think our expectation is that marketplaces are going to kind of continue supporting base and Ethereum and all these other, uh, you know, ecosystems because it's really important that we, we kind of continue supporting the broader crypto economy. Um, I think... Like the thing that gets me most excited about base though, and I think this is one of the big lessons and and kind of takeaways from from our work on on the NFT marketplace is that um, it's really hard to have kind of like one place that everything is happening. Like the thing that creates like incredibly brilliant, you know, uh, creative ecosystems is lots of diversity and lots of different organizations and teams and people and creators doing novel experiment experimentative work together and i think this is a thing that like base can kind of uniquely enable it's like we don't have to have like the coinbase marketplace only we can also have magic eden and other nft marketplaces like you know we don't have to have nft minting happen on coinbase only it's like we can work with zora and sound and like all these other people to do that there like Base can become kind of a, a a platform where we can really be focused at, on Coinbase at, on enabling creators, enabling those builders, and then bringing the distribution. But then we don't have to be the people who are doing all the creativity. Because I think at the end of the day, trying to do all that creativity in the context of a huge Fortune 500 company is like, it's practically impossible. And the creativity is already here. Like there's already all of the brilliant people who are doing brilliant things on chain. We just need to make it so they can do more of it and then that they can reach more people through distribution channels like Coinbase. Totally. And then as we sort of set the foundation further for base, um, when you think about the biggest challenges that L2 networks are facing right now, what, what comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to what we, what we were just talking about. I think it's still too hard both for developers and creators to create on L2 um, and then still too hard for users to actually use those products. And yeah. so on the creator side, I, I think if you just look at the, at the, the kind of um, current state of the industry, it's like the level of quality of tools that actually support an L2 is very, very limited today. And what that means is it means that most creators kind of have to create on Ethereum L1. And let's say you're a creator who wants to do kind of like a small scale open edition that's accessible to all of your fans, where it's like, I want to have a $5 price point. If you want to have a $5 price point on Ethereum L1, it's like, that's $5 that has to get spent on gas. And that means basically $0 going to you as a creator. And so we're kind of in this 
like hard period right now with with the kind of the creator tools where um, they're not supporting L2 and therefore they're not actually uh, able to both reach kind of mainstream audiences from a cost perspective and bring revenue for creators. And like, this is the core thing we want to solve with base is we want to create a platform and we want to bring all the tools there and we want to make it incredibly low cost so that for that same $5 open edition that you do as an artist, $4.90 of it can go to you and 10 cents can go to gas. And that means that you're going to do a lot more of those. Um, you're going to feel a lot better about them. Your fans are going to feel better about them because they're directly supporting you. You're going to have more revenue, more resources to do all the other things that you want to do with your with your music or you know your art or whatever it is. Um, and I think that like that's the hardest thing that's not working in L2s right now. And that's really what we're focused on. It's like giving folks the tools to really easily use L2 to get better outcomes for what they're trying to do. And then on the flip side, for the users, like if you're a user and you want to go to L2 today, it's like you have to bridge, you have to get funds. It's, it's this whole mm. rigmarole. Um, and for like the very small percentage of people who've made it through, there's value at the end. It's like now I can do these things cheaper. But for the everyday person, like right now what they're getting presented with is like, oh, I want to use this thing or mint this thing. Like which of these chain infrastructure decisions do I make? Like, how do I sort through this? It's way too complex. And so our our goal and plan is just to get rid of all that. And still, you know, for the advanced users, still provide that option. But for the everyday everyday person, it's like, oh, you want to mint this NFT that Adam just dropped? That's his podcast. That's $2, just supporting the podcast, but might get you some cool things in the future. Like, you literally just click mint and it mints on base. It's in your, you know, fully flexible, open crypto wallet. Um, your funds, you know, are instantly used to do it. And all of that just works. I'm here for it. And something that I consistently preach on the podcast is that a creator is going to be multi-chain by default. Um, as from like using a typical analogy, um, when you look at like a Spotify artist and they look at their Spotify data, uh, oftentimes they determine, they determine where to tour based off where people are listening, right? So if you have listeners right. in New York, you're not just going to perform in Oregon, right? You're going to go to New York. So you have an audience in, in, in a collector base that's native to a certain chain, you're going to go build an audience across that chain. And I do this from my writing NFTs on Optimism to my end of season pins on Polygon and Ethereum. And there's so much to be explored. So I love it. I can, I can also imagine how the user experience would drastically improve given that Coinbase is like a point, uh, acts as a gateway to kind of like bridge uh, base yeah. and my funds together, right? And the process of switching yeah. wallets and that entire experience of funding wallets. And it could get very overwhelming and very convoluted very, very fast. So I can't imagine. But these are some of the examples that I think about from a user experience uh, perspective that base could drastically improve. Anything else that comes to mind that I didn't touch upon? No, I, th I think that that's exactly right. And I think like uh, our kind of commitment to the creators who are listening to this podcast is like, if you create on base, we are going to be working with all of our might and and uh, kind of uh, resources to bring all of those 110 million users in the Coinbase ecosystem. And then the next billion, you know, 5 billion people who are coming on chain over the next few years to discover and uh, interact and support your work. Like that's, that's, that's what this is all about. And you know the reason I was so excited about coming on this on this podcast with with you, Adam, is like when I think about what is the 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 largest unlock for the next wave of crypto adoption, it is this: 
It is getting creators better, cheaper tools to be creating on chain and then connecting in distribution to see the incredible level of creativity that's already happening. It will only increase with those better tools. And so my focus day to day, you know, obviously we're, we're focused on getting mainnet out as quickly as possible. And that's where our technical teams are. But for me, it's like meeting with creators, figuring out what do they need to come on chain? How can we better support them? What tools do they need? Uh, what distribution do they need? And then getting them those things, because that's going to be the way we bring a billion people on chain. Uh, the financial stuff is going to happen, of course, like we in Coinbase obviously has been doing that for a long time. But for me, it's it's creators. and It's about giving the musicians, the artists, the filmmakers, you know, everyone the tools to really create on chain. Another thing I, I, I have to bring up to you because I, I need to get your take on this. There's like a hidden truth or a hidden energy, or maybe I'm delusional to it, Jesse, but I feel like Ethereum has developed this brand where it's like the cool people's platform to mint on. And despite the, 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 the barriers of $5 NFTs and it costs $30 to mint, right? To pay for gas fees, like for whatever reason, from a macro perspective, creators still by default defer to these platforms. And maybe it's because curated platforms have built natively to integrate these 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 platforms. Or yep. I don't know what the answer is, but like I see oftentimes like music creators oftentimes mint their music more on Ethereum than they do on Polygon or Optimism, right? And I think yeah. it's a psychological thing, right? Because Ethereum has built this brand. I'm curious, it's it's a it's like a problem that it's like a gray area to sort of solve. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on how to defeat uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, I guess, opportunity. Let's call it an opportunity. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if it's defeat. I, th- I think it's expand. It's like, how do we get people comfortable with expanding their kind of aperture from minting on Ethereum to also minting on Ethereum L2s? And I, I like to be clear, my general perspective on layer two is that it, it is Ethereum. Like these are uh, a part of Ethereum. They're slightly different. And right now the tools make it hard uh, to like experience in that way. But I think increasingly that's going to be the perception of uh, kind of creators and consumers is that they're going to experience kind of Ethereum L1 and, and L2 as kind of one whole thing. Like today, people experience the internet, even though there's kind of like the tier one ISP and the tier two ISP and all this kind of technical infrastructure that's going on uh, kind of in the back end. And so like, this kind of shift is, uh, you know, what I'm focused on. You know, it's like, how do we make sure that folks actually have the tools? And then how do we make sure that they can get comfortable with instead of minting on Ethereum L1, they're minting on Ethereum L2. And I think some of that's just going to be kind of like um, momentum building and kind of shelling point creation. And, uh, you know, based on all the conversations that we're having, I think base, you know, really has this opportunity to be that shelling point and to bring the people together to kind of say, hey, actually is okay to be minting here. It's good to be minting here because more of that value actually flows to you. And it's still really easy for consumers because everything just works out of the box from an experience perspective. And so that that kind of like jump is the the kind of jump I'm working to kind of help make happen. Um, and I think the I, I think it's going to be, you know, a transition. It's always a little bit of a transition. I think the place that I expect it to happen first is going to be on open editions that are um, like have very low price points. I think the like the the rationale for doing an open edition that's one to two dollars on an L two is just like so clear 
um, it's like literally this thing becomes infinitely more accessible to the person who has one to $2 um, versus doing it on L1, uh, which means that you can mid more of them, that more of that value actually goes to you as the creator. So I, I expect that's where we're going to see it first. And that's what I'm most focused on. And then over time, um, I think we'll see it expand to kind of the larger, you know, you know, multi-thousand, tens of thousand dollar NFT mints. But I'm I'm less focused on those right now. Like I think for people who are collecting those things, like there's a small, like there's still a pretty small number of them and they're pretty comfortable paying gas fees on L1. The the thing that I'm really like laser focused on is giving creators the tools and comfort to do these kind of like cheap. NFTs that I think can be incredibly powerful for reaching mainstream audiences, um, which I think is really only possible on layer two. I agree. I think the future lies in the hands of high volume, low cost, um, and through that you get distribution. Um, I'm a big believer in that in the grand scheme of things, like a 10,000 edition uh, NFT collection is very minimal in the grand scheme of things. Like we are so early, right? A hundred thousand is still like four hundred fifty thousand. Like the base, the base uh, Zorb collab. Like it's yeah. still pretty small in the grand scheme of things, right? Um, so 100%. I see that vision, and I and I and I wonder if there's going to be a world where I feel like there's a narrative around like if you mint your song on Ethereum right now, um, don't mint that same song on Polygon, Optimism, etc., because it holds a certain provenance. And I'm curious. I I want to see that narrative change. Because there's different audiences across different networks, and it makes things more accessible. Um, I'm curious. Yeah. One thing that that maybe you, you have a take on is when you think about the current state of the creator economy in Web three. Who are some of the most type like the most uh, exciting types of creators that Base is initially after? So you talked about music, for example, right? Are there any forms of uh, any types of other creators that you're super hyper focused on to providing specific resources for? Because I feel like you can't tackle it all at the same time. You have to start somewhere. We've talked. We've talked about music, so I feel yeah. like maybe that's that's a niche. Yeah, I think I think music is definitely like the the the. If I had to pick one category to focus on, I'd say it's music. I really think that um, like what we're seeing just in the last six months is that um, you know there's a ton of real benefits to minting your music on chain. Um, I think that's only going to grow. Like I just I was on Twitter today, and you see Grimes. Uh, say, hey, I'll give 50% of my, uh, of, of, I'll take 50% of revenues from people who use my voice to create AI songs. Like doing that in the legacy off chain world is practically impossible. Doing that as NFTs uh, that are minted on chain, uh, where you can do splits in smart contracts is totally possible and like low cost. And people, I'm sure, are already building the tooling for that. And so I think there's this like moment that's happening right now uh, with music and, and on chain that is, very, very real. And given how large music is from a kind of broad scale consumer distribution perspective, like billions of people listen to music, I think it's also likely to be um, a kind of like uh gateway for those people to come on chain and to start interacting in this way. Um, it also bridges the kind of like on, on chain and real world side of things really nicely. Like, you know, people are already starting to do kind of, if you hold my NFT, then you can get earlier access to tickets. Like, I think that's going to be a huge thing that gets gets bigger and bigger and more and more adoption. So if I had to pick one segment for creators, it would definitely be musicians um, and giving them the tools to to come on chain. I think if like a, another one that uh, I I think is it's less creators directly, but I, I think brands are really starting to to see the power of uh, NFTs. 
um, and, and on-chain marketing. And, and we're actually kind of like leading, like leading the way with this on base. Like if, if when we look at our last two months of the base kind of uh, launch and just our strategy in general, it's what we call mid first, um, which is a, a term coined by Jacob Horn from Azora. So credit to him. But basically, like the way we think about um, marketing now for base is that everything that we are creating from a marketing perspective is first and foremost an on-chain asset. So it's first and foremost an NFT, which then gets distributed through other channels. So like, you know, the launch had an NFT, which we announced on Twitter. We did an ETH Denver recap uh, and it was an NFT, which we attached to a mirror post and shared on Twitter. Um, Like every single part of the base story has an NFT that people can collect. And we're seeing two, two really interesting things coming from that. So one is that at this point, we're actually seeing more engagement, meaningful engagement with our on-chain uh, assets than our off-chain assets. So we we recently had this thing where someone gave us the base.eth domain name. Uh, they were just like, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, this is an anonymous gift to kind of you know recognize the, the commitment to decentralization and open source. Um, uh, really meaningful. And we minted the email that they sent to us. And that email had, I think like, 13,000 people who unique, unique people who minted wow. that. And it had the tweet about it had 4,000 likes. So we had four times as many people who minted an L1 Ethereum NFT, which cost something between five and $10 to kind of engage with and celebrate that moment in our kind of story as a, as a brand and as a, as a project versus 4,000 who tweeted it, who hit the like button. So I think like, that is kind of mind blowing to me that we're already starting to see like the on-chain marketing flip in the off-chain channels. Um, and w- that's a pattern that we're seeing pretty much uh, with every single thing we're doing on base. So that's one thing that's been really interesting for this kind of the on-chain centric brand uh, strategy. The other thing that's been really interesting is we have probably released like 10 or 15 different NFTs at this point from the base kind of launch journey. And they all have slightly different meanings. Like some of them captured a marketing moment. Um, some of them were something that someone needed to do. Like you need, you need to deploy a smart contract in order to earn this NFT. And now we have all these NFTs distributed across like 700, 800,000 wallets. Um, and because of the way crypto works and because of the kind of composability and interoperability of this platform, we can start to do really interesting things with these NFTs. So we can say, hey, if you have this NFT and this NFT, you get access to certain channels in our Discord. Or if you have this NFT and this NFT, you can get access to a faucet for creating on our test net. But basically, they become this like incredibly powerful tool for segmenting our community and then giving them better experiences as a result of it. And this is like, you know, I used the example earlier of like artists giving early access to tickets to, to, to community members with NFTs. Like that's the same thing. They're saying, hey, the community, the segment of our community that decided to purchase this NFT, we want to reward with this benefit of um, kind of getting early access to tickets. And this has been like so, so, so powerful for us. And it's, I think going to be so, so powerful for, for musicians, for artists, for brands, for creators in general. As you release more and more NFTs, they just become this powerful tool for knowing who you're 
community is, who your fans are, and then using the interoperability of crypto to give those thing, those those fans based on the NFTs they own even better experiences. You know, it's funny you bring that up because something that I've been super passionate, very vocal about is that exact concept. Like in Web three, there's this layer of 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 transparency and there's more ownership about who your community of collectors are, right? Over over your audience and something that I truly believe in that I've been an advocate for for a minute. It's like, I think a creator's community of collectors are going to surpass their community of followers. And over time, your audience will be 100%. progressively on chain. So this ability to be able to 100%. segment, to better understand and to reward based off who your community of collectors are, it's, it's a zero to one innovation that we didn't have in Web 2, right? It's, it's strictly what Web 3 enables. And one thing that I do every single season, I give out seasonal pins. I've done this in season two where I earmark a listener's participation in the growth and development of my creator journey. So I can see my entire community as it's grown over time on chain from season two, three, four, five, six, and seven. Um, We're soon to be seven. We're dropping our season seven pins very shortly. Um, So I love that. And it's such a powerful concept that I know more creators are going to wake up to. Yeah. Well, you've been leading the way. And like, Candidly, like the mid, the stuff that you guys have done from an NFT minting perspective, it's been a huge influence on my thinking on it. And I think it's really been like groundbreaking in doing exactly this thing where you kind of can map your community based on these NFTs and give them better and better experiences that are more and more engaging. And so we're day zero. We're at day zero that this is going to all get so, so powerful. Um, and really what what we believe is the next big unlock is better, cheaper, easier, globally available tools to make it so creators everywhere can do this and so that it's accessible to everyone. Um, so you don't have to have $50 to mint your first NFT. Instead, you can do it for a few cents. Um, and that becomes easier and easier for, for creators to actually access and use to, to make more music or do whatever they want to do. I love it. I'm fired up, Jesse. I want to talk about progressive decentralization <laughs> with you. Okay. Uh, because I think it is important a topic, yeah. it's a big part of uh, a Web three ethos. How do you think about progressive decentralization in the in the case of base? Like, what are the steps being taken yeah. to ensure a smooth transition? What are your thoughts on that on that topic? Yeah, and so just for for listeners' context, base is kind of being incubated inside of Coinbase, um, but we are progressively decentralizing it. Uh, we believe that you know, in order to be a kind of open, permissionless uh, platform and ecosystem, it's got to be decentralized. Um, and so, literally, decentralization is our P zero, uh, like priority zero. It's the highest priority thing for us. Um, I wake up every morning and I'm like, how do we get this thing decentralized uh, more quickly? Uh, before we even talk about kind of like what's the future roadmap, I'll say um, the the process for building base was really about how do we actually do this in a way that makes it possible to decentralize it. Um, and there were two big decisions that I think we made that that kind of pushed us in that direction. So one was deciding to build base as an Ethereum L2, right? Like we actually previously looked at um, kind of having base or having another chain be like an L1. Um, but I think a- as we kind of came into this year and started thinking about this more seriously, what we realized was that if we wanted to be decentralized, building on top of an already decentralized platform like Ethereum was an incredibly powerful starting point. Uh, and it would mean that we'd actually be more connected to this broader decentralized economy rather than being off on our own. So that was a big kind of decision that we made that was explicitly to be more decentralized. The, the second uh, big decision that we made was um, once we decided to be an L2, we then decided to build base not on kind of a proprietary 
you know, controlled Coinbase technology stack, but instead to build on this thing called the OP stack, which is an open source, freely available MIT licensed software stack that powers base and also powers Optimism mainnet is built by the Optimism Collective. Um, and so base is joining as the second core developer of the OP stack. And what that means is it means that A, all of the contributions that Coinbase is making to base and the technology that powers base is going back into a toolkit that anyone can use, uh, which I think is incredibly important. Uh, this is like what it's all about. It's like building open, freely available platforms that anyone can use. And then B, it means that our resources are getting combined with other people's resources to decentralize even faster. So we're not just working in a silo, but instead we are accelerating work that's already been doing, been done and, and kind of building on the, the incredible uh, kind of uh, work that the Optimism Collective has done to, to decentralize this platform. And so th- those were two big decisions, building as an Ethereum L2 and then building on the OP stack, which I think set us up really nicely for decentralization. From here, um, uh, you know, we are working towards a mainnet launch. That mainnet launch uh, is going to have some, some really significant decentralization as part of it um, that is going to you know, kind of set the tone for where we're going. Um, and then beyond that, we have a roadmap that we're executing with Optimism where, you know, basically every every quarter or two quarters for the next two years, we're going to be taking one step closer to being what's called a stage two rollup, um, which is kind of a fully decentralized, uh, like aligned with Ethereum, having similar decentralization characteristics as Ethereum um, kind of state. And so that's going to be a little bit of a journey over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. But we're, we're, we're already making really good progress. It's great. I love it. I'm excited to see it sort of uh, come to fruition. Um, keep this fire up, and you're going to take over the world. I love. I love to see it. I think as we're <laughs> as we're coming up to, uh, to a, a close shortly, Jesse, I want to bring up another community question. This one comes from Dan Romero. He asks, "How do you think about building credibility with developers that base will be permissionless and won't have a sudden uh, change of terms of service, for example?" Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and, and for me here, it's like uh, actions speak way louder than words. Like I can tell folks all I possibly can that we're doing this. You know, we're decentralizing. We're going to be open and permissionless. But um, uh, like people aren't going to believe it entirely until they really see it. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're just going to execute. And I think the cool thing about crypto and the cool thing about this on-chain platform is that you can actually go and look. You can be like, is the code written and deployed in such a way that it is decentralized or moving in the direction of decentralization? It's like, who controls the smart contracts? Um, and that's that's where we're focused. We are focused on uh, making base decentralized in the code um, so that people can trust that there's not some like, you know, soft, you know, don't be evil commitment socially, but that it's actually written into the contracts that define base and that define this system that we are creating that it is going to be decentralized, that is, is a, you know, really meaningfully decentralized from the beginning. And so I think like, I don't expect developers to trust anything other than what we do and what the code says. And I expect and am confident that um, based on the roadmap that we have and the, the, the plans that we have for the, the one to two years ahead, people are going to be able to see that. And then that that's going to be the thing that actually builds trust with them. Well, look, I'm excited to see it come to fruition. As I mentioned, Jesse, um, more power to you. Shout out to the base team um, that's been working on this day and night. Before I let you go, where can listeners learn more about base and all the cool things that you guys are up to? Yeah. Um, if you're if you're listening in and you want to learn more about base, you can do that at base.org. 
Um, uh, you know, that's where you'll find all the information about base. You can follow us at build on base, uh, Twitter, uh, base on Farcaster, um, uh, you know, uh, getting our on-chain social as well. Um, and then if you're a creator and you want to come create on base, you can also just shoot me an email. Uh, I'm Jesse at base.org. You can DM me on Twitter or Farcaster. I'm Jesse Pollack, J-E-S-S-E-P-O-L-L-A-K on both of those. Um, I'm here for you. Like my number one priority is to make it so creators have the tools to be creating on chain that are low cost, that connect them to their fans and help them earn more money so they can do more incredible work. And so my door is open. My email inbox is open. My Twitter inbox is open. I am up every morning saying, let me figure out how we can empower more creators to be creating on chain. So shoot me a note here to help. I see it. Every single day or every other day, you quote tweet that same tweet. Um, who's building on base? You send them some gas and and you get them ready to go. So I love it, Jesse. We're seeing That's it in action. That's what it's all about. We'll have to do this again soon. But until then, wishing you well. Um, and yeah, thanks for being on. Thanks, Adam. What's up, guys? Thank you for listening. If you've gotten this far, then you are a champ and I owe you a free listener pin. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash NFT, fill in your info, and I'll distribute the NFT towards the end of the season. By collecting your pin, you prove your contribution to the season and get exclusive access to content, allow lists, and more. So be sure to collect yours. Also, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. This helps me out so much. And finally, hit me up on Twitter at LevyChain. I want to hear what you're building, the latest crowdfund you're trying to complete, or if you simply want to chat. I love talking about where crypto meets the creator economy, and it's no different if it's coming from you directly. So thanks again for your support. It means the world, and I'll see you on the next episode.